Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundem, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we're talking about innovative educational approaches for medical affairs. Joining us are Tim Michalishvili, CEO and co-founder, Emadia Pharma, and Riaz Abbas, Learning and Performance Lead, JPAC Medical with Amgen. So first of all, uh, to both of you, thank you for joining us today. I'm looking forward to hearing about what is new in L&D. Um, and Riaz, I was hoping maybe you could get us started by taking us through some of the advantages of this information-rich information age that we live in. What's, what's going on with our information age and learning and development? Well, thank you, Garth, uh, for having me. Um, I would start by saying that we are so lucky, we are so blessed that we live in such an age, we'll call the information age, where information is really available to us at, within the palm of our hands. Mm -hmm. We are so well connected. We are so better connected than we were, say, even a decade or so ago. And just to give you an example and put it into perspective, I mean, and I promise we won't talk about COVID after this, but if you imagine 7th of Jan 2020 is the day when the China CDC released and published the genomic sequence of this newly identified novel coronavirus. Yeah, okay. And on the 10th of Jan, there was an RT-PCR test being developed across by major labs in the US, Europe, et cetera. So how fast the information travels and how quickly we can get on top of it. And we can just imagine how uh, lucky we are to be in that age. So that's my, my first bit, that we are just so well connected and so better connected to information. Okay, so that's some of the technological side of, of things. We have access, things move so quickly. What about sort of the human side of things, Tim? How does L&D fit with this information age? What are the trends for L&D? Yes, uh, Garth, Riaz, uh, again, a pleasure to speak to you both. Uh, I love this topic, as you know. Uh, I think that somehow or another, we now have more opportunities to be smarter as a result of the information age. So I agree with Riaz's comments. Uh, information and our exposure to it determines uh, the extent of education uh, that we can also receive ourselves and share with others, which ultimately uh, also is a, plays an important factor in the quality of decisions that we make in healthcare. Mm -hmm. So uh, Barton Polson, uh, data analytics expert and uh, professor, he, for example, talks about the increase, uh, the exponential increase in the volume, the velocity, and the variety of information, those three Vs, you know, that we are all now experiencing and witnessing. And in terms of L&D and the human side of things, uh, there are some encouraging trends, I think, Garth, because uh, there's data from CultureAmp and EdApp Ed uh, from L&D experts that I attended that shows that there is an 1,100% increase in people uh, choosing to uh, join uh, learning groups. So uh, we're, we're not choosing we, to educate ourselves informally. And uh, my last All Out Coach podcast, I had a, a chief learning officer, Ruth Gotian from Wild Cornell, 
who yeah. mentioned that informal learning is a key factor to success of these extreme high achievers, Nobel Prize laureates and, you know, what have you. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, in, in healthcare also, in healthcare, there is, um, there is an increase, you know, an increase by about 41% in us uh, getting data, gathering more data, more survey data from our employees, our, you know, colleagues. Uh, but nevertheless, when you, when I think, when you look at uh, medical affairs, LND or LMS systems versus, let's say, other functions, I think th there is an increase, but th these surveys show that there is, there's still a, a, you know, remaining need in more link, link learning and development, uh, I think. So, yeah, so a lot of encouraging data. And I think I'm, what I'm glad to see is that the, the data is moving from the lab into the public. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I, I hear a lot in there that I think we, we can unpack. One thing that I thought was really interesting that you just said is it's almost like decentralized learning where people are joining learning groups where it's not just yeah. that, you know, your company is telling you do this or your university is telling you do right. this, but that yeah. people are seeking out uh, learning groups on their own. But if I'm a person seeking out a learning group on my own and I'm being bombarded by the opportunity that this massively increasing what velocity, volume and variety of data present, that also comes with, with challenges. So Riaz, it's not only opportunity, but also challenge in the new learning landscape for medical affairs. Is, is that correct? Absolutely. And I completely concur with Tim. I think I mentioned about the advantage of information age. I think the limitation or the challenge, as you say, is we almost feel like drowning in that data or that level of information. So just to again give you an example, just in the space of non-small cell lung cancer. Yeah. There were close to seven and a half thousand publications, seven and a half thousand publications in the last 12 months. In the last 45 days since the beginning of the year to now, mm -hmm. according, to, according to PubMed, there are 525 publications in just the space of North Mountain lung cancer. So if you put our ex, you know, us at the center of it, as well as more importantly, I will say the stakeholders, the physicians, the patients that we, we serve, it's like surmounting amount of data, some amount of information. That's a challenge for us. The information, this, this just the challenge is not information or can we get the information? The challenge right now is too much information and people feeling almost drowning in what they call data or as some people refer to as uh, the data dilemma that we live in. Yeah. You know, it's almost like HCPs used to need um, MSLs to give them the cliff notes for the 50 studies that were out in the last six months. Does medical affairs in general now do we need another layer of gatekeeping to help us make sense of the, what did you say, 7,000 studies or something? Um, Tim, how do we make sense of all this, of all this data? Um, what, what can we do or equip ourselves with as medical affairs professionals to, to make sense of this? Yeah, I think you bring up a good point, Garth, um, that we'd be probably remiss not to talk about, you know, responsible AI, right? Okay. And AI accountability, right? Because, uh, because of just how 
fast that data is moving, right? Uh, like both of you just remarked. Uh, and the way this plays out in, in medical affairs is, for example, if you're conducting a study and you have now completed your manuscript, right, mm -hmm. and it's going, goes through rounds of reviews, you know, what, during that time in the process, there's a lot of people who may or may not be qualified to discuss healthcare and make decisions who are already, who may be speaking about that same topic, um, yeah. you know, and, and the, the data shows that uh, in, in dermatology, for example, dermatology related hashtags across social media, uh, only 5% of them are being discussed by board certified dermatologists. So, uh, and patients are demanding care for which they may or may not be appropriate. And so there, uh, so I think there are a lot of the innovative companies are that are employing uh, these exciting uh, technology, you know, AI are now also uh, looking for ways to standardize and validate, you know, and the government also, the HHA, Human Health Services, uh, you know, last year, uh, they uh, announced their AI ambition, and the government as well in the United States and Europe, they're following suit as well. Uh, there's an association for healthcare social media, uh, a, a trend across social media called hashtag uh, verify healthcare, uh, which are also kind of providing some balance in order to make sure that you know, AI and technology and education and medical education and healthcare is used for the right reasons. Um, so you say that only 5% of the conversation about dermatology on Twitter is by dermatologists. On Instagram, um, yeah. But before we get back to making sense of all of this data using technology tools, does this mean that the conversation has gotten away from us? Has, has medical affairs lost, what, control or, or leadership of the conversation? What do you think? I wouldn't. I, I agree with uh, to an extent with Tim, but I don't think we we have maybe at the cusp of it. I think we have got a huge opportunity by using technology. Actually, in my opinion, the technology let the technology solve the technological dilemma. Right? As you always say, let the okay. let the virus be dealt with virologists, and the politicians can worry about something else like politics. Right? So I we are, uh, for instance heavily involved in looking at how tech can help us solve okay. this. So we are doing quite, quite a lot of work in L&D at the moment at Amgen. We are really increasing the digital literacy of our colleagues. And um, we're also looking at options and solutions potentially where AI and NLP can really help us yep. solve this, uh, this solution. So when I say seven and a half thousand publications. I know most of the audience, most of my colleagues here, they'll be thinking, well, that's beyond comprehension. But Rias, come on, get real. Not all those papers, not all those publications are relevant and are front and center. Absolutely. But how do you find that information, which is you need to be front and center? And as you say, Garth, how can we then serve our physicians better? So I think AI and NLP can really help us. And just to kind of say, in my opinion, what NLP really is, it, NLP really puts structured to unstructured set of data. It's sure. a bit like to me, like a, if you could imagine a brick of a, a pit of Lego bricks and you can get a Batmobile out of it, or you can get, a, a, you know, another structure like a Lego city type, you know, thing out of it. NLP, it literally makes that decision, that information of unstructured piece of Lego and visualize that for you in a matter of seconds. So I think, and there are some very exciting um, advancements happening at the moment where 
NLP can really help us, in my opinion, at least get to the first step of resolving this um, data dilemma. So just to follow up on that real quick. Um, so natural language processing, everybody who's listening to this knows that. But anyway, NLP. Um, so you've got this tub of Lego bricks and you can build a Batmobile or you can build a cityscape. Does that mean that when we are using NLP in unstructured data, we need to know the shape of what we're trying to build? You know, so you're saying that this tub of Lego bricks, it can go one way, it can go the other. Is there any, I don't know, single meaning in the tub of Lego bricks or, or do we need to tell NLP what it needs to tell us? Absolutely. This is exactly the key, key bit here. So we should not be worried about tech. And I know, Tim, you are passion, very passionate about this. You've spoken about this topic at length. Sure. Uh, there is some, some of our colleagues that get worried about, oh, is NLP going to take my job? Uh, I, would we need an MSLs anymore? I, I actually believe that it's there to resolve and solve our issues. So yes, exactly what NLP does is give you structure, but you have to give it some parameters. Yeah, okay. So we define in no small cell lung cancer, if I take as an example, as to which is the area, which are the parameters we really need to take out front and center piece of groundbreaking data, bring it forward and, and gives it that structure to say, well, this is, these are the key list of publications or papers, which based on your parameters, you've done it. NLP literally just processes that information at a much faster speed, uh, sp uh, speed at, at beyond us. However, the contextualizing, our cognition is far more smarter, if I could use that word. So we need to use the, the, the human skill, our expertise, our subject matter expertise are still paramount to make NLP work. Yeah, so you know, years ago, I was somewhat of a skeptic and somebody taught me the control F function, for example, which allows you to sift through lots of data, right? And uh, give it a particular command and search for that term, right? Through large heaps of data. Well, I look at NLP and natural language understanding as that control F function, but uh, to the to the exponential power, if you will, right? Oh. Which which also de which depends on the ontologies and the lexicon, so that you you're able to uh, ingest various different formats of data, which we're exposed to a lot. Uh, you know, I started in medical education, but I've spent most of my career in in uh, the field medical affairs role. And we're bombarded with different spreadsheets, the CSR reports, right, the PDFs. So uh, I actually, even though I used to be a skeptic, I advise a natural language understanding company called Sorcero as well, uh, because I've, I've been convinced of the uses like Riaz just uh, also you know, alluded to. Uh, and so I think it, it deals, it addresses that third V of the variety, the variety of data, because not all the data that we need is all organized well in rows and columns. A lot of the data is, is unstructured to Riaz's yeah. point. Yeah, and that's, that, that's what it allows you to just organize that data. So ultimately, if you're a medic, in medical affairs today, you can either choose to be confused by all of this data or you can uh, choose to be more organized using novel technologies like, like this one that Riaz just highlighted. Well, so we've been talking about making meaning from data. Let's bring this back to education and helping people, I don't know, make meaning of data. So right. all of these tools, are, are these going to eventually improve the quality and outcomes of 
medical education programs or or is it or is it more of an internal understanding you know we're going to use nlp and ai to to internally understand the volume of data yeah well you know you mentioned i can i can take a uh you know crack at this uh first i guess uh so uh, i think in medical education we there are various different ways now that the education is being delivered and people have various different ways that they learn whether informally or formally right so personalizing that medical education is a key uh you know factor i think in uh uh, first of all, making sure that you can trace that activity uh, of a medical education program to the outcome that you're seeking in terms of patient outcomes or, uh, or physician outcomes, because I think that's what connects all of us in medical affairs. We're trying to improve the quality of healthcare and its continuity, right? But if you look at metrics, for example, of a lot of the social media, these innovative medical education programs, I recently did a review and you'll find that uh, about 70% of all of uh, such metrics uh, are reporting the acceptance, which, which we already know is there. But very few, only about 3% or so, are reporting on the, that direct you know, the, the outcome, the, the impact on the outcome. So it has to do with the metrics, the design, how, how we look at metrics of these innovative programs. You know, it, is it just the views? Is it the number of attendees to virtual science fair conference? No, and we need to, I think, move from uh, attention to context and more deep understanding of metrics and designing metrics more deliberately, I think. And maybe more personalized. Wait, yeah. so let me yeah. just make sure I understand what you're saying. So uh, when you survey people who are taking part in innovative uh, medical education programs, they accept the format of the program, the innovative right. yeah, format. That's clear. Mm-hmm. But we're not necessarily measuring it in the right way to understand how innovative medical programs are, are influencing outcomes. Is that yeah, there's yeah, the data is yeah, the data is a little bit you know is missing you know is is lacking, and uh, yeah, and you know another area that I recently learned about where the data is lacking is in drug discovery, for example, where the databases for drug discovery um, are do not have a lot of data in terms of the activity between a structure, uh, the structure and activity relationship of a drug. You know how a drug interacts with particular, um, you know, proteins or mo- molecules, right? The drug target interactions, and mm-hmm. that's where AI. That's one of the areas that I'm now starting to be fascinated with, uh, <laughs> in terms of drug, because now we have a first AI discovered, uh, AI discovered drug for idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis that's already in human clinical trials, where AI is not only allowing you to. Uh, to uh, analyze a lot of data and organize it, but actually imagine new molecules using software. These new new uh, software programs that are called generative adversarial networks, where there are two software programs that are essentially competing against one, each other. They're pitted against each other where one yeah. generates yeah. generates them, generates potential molecules with pre- preferential uh, qualities, let's say solubility or protein binding. And the other one is trying to identify them. But over time, it learns to fool the other one such that it <laughs> develops a new, new, new product that could discover new, new drugs. And I didn't know that until recently. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So innovative technological uses of artificial intelligence go beyond 
creating meaning from unstructured data. Well, well, I guess that's another example of creating a kind of meaning, like a, a useful drug would be the meaning in that case. And it emerges from this primordial soup through sort of like evolutionary competition with other molecules. And I guess that is sort of like creating meaning, but yeah. Riaz, in terms yeah. of education. So, sorry, just to, oh, go yeah, to. sorry, Gar, just to, I, I know Riaz is going to comment, but just to uh, finish my thought on the, the meaning, which you just, which I uh, probably uh, didn't completely address is that I think what I'm interested in now is to actually see how accurate some of these software programs are in predicting okay. the, or the, you know, these, these molecules and in augmenting those databases. So I'm, uh, I'm actually presenting my overview uh, of that in a, in a new drug delivery conference taking place in, in May in Scotland. So, uh, uh, so yeah, that's, yeah, so th that's what I'm interested in as well in, in the meaning of the, the, those new uh, general adversarial networks systems. That's neat. Yeah. Riaz, what do you think? Yeah, yeah I think God, when it comes to meaning, I think I would ask all of us and who are listening to the podcast today to think about what is the meaning of education? Okay. And it may vary from listener to listener. What's the purpose that we're trying to achieve? So I look at education as a holistic piece, which is trying to um, get us the skill set, overcome the, the knowledge barrier, but then translate that knowledge into actual meaningful actions. So when it comes to L&D, we are trying to bridge, hasten, make it simple for people to understand complex science and data so they can then translate, contextualize it for when they're discussing with HCPs. And likewise, in medical education, we, should, we have to start with that again. What's the outcome we're looking for? What's the purpose? And then work the modality, not the other way around. So that's my first bit about what's the meaning. My second piece would be, when we are working uh, tech or digital solutions, in my opinion, are function agnostic. They are enablers. Mm -hmm. Okay. But we need to understand what the problem we're trying to solve and then look at tech to help us solve it. That's sort of, th those two things are a bit similar in that they are both outcomes-based approaches, correct? You're, you're talking about education, designing education from your desired outcome. Um, so, so is it is it that you know future medical affairs education will be designed with a with what like the measured outcome in mind? Oh, it has to be. I mean, it should be even now. Yeah. Um, I would say it should be designed with an outcome in <laughs> mind. I mean, I, I think that's where the challenge is that we sometimes um, are too bogged down, and I've been guilty of, of it myself too bogged down about what we what's the data and how can we quickly and uh, and how rapidly can we expose and share that with with physicians and, and healthcare professionals whereas the approach the right approach should be what's the right outcome we want to get what's good looks like and then work backwards including what we need to communicate and how we communicate in the most effective way uh, so that we can really overcome and not create this drowning in data that some physicians some clinicians and uh, opinion leaders that I, I know of. Um, so yeah. yes, absolutely, should be even today. But I think tech can really help that hasten those connecting those dots that can be really accelerated by using the right kind of AI and, uh, and technological solutions. All right, well, we've got tech as the uh, nice problem to have of too much data and tech also maybe the solution to having too much data in, in that it can help us make meaning from it. I know that this is the first 
of a brainstormed three uh part podcast series. So let's leave some for next time. Uh, thank you, Tim and Riaz for joining us today. Thank you so to much. To learn more about modern approaches to external education, um, before the next episode comes out, check out the MAPS Content Hub and sort for external education. You'll find a bunch of good stuff there. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the MAPS podcast series, Elevate.